You're listening to the Grassroots Church Podcast. We're a Jesus-centered community in Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can learn how to participate more by going to our website at grassroots.church. There's a lot of newness happening here. And um, somebody actually texted me this week that this kickoff uh, Sunday happens to be the same Sunday as kickoff for the NFL season. And so the three fans in this church that care about that are probably going... Um, but uh, that, and I was really struggling this morning, like, what are we going to talk about here? Because I don't want to, like, dive deep into, um, you know, some theological thing or the next kind of series, because we're just sort of starting everything off this fall. Um, next week, we are going to uh, do a little bit of a recap on the Jesus Collective, which we talked about way back in the spring. Um, not because we're not anxious to get into some new material for our community, but because I think that... Uh, the direction and the teaching will be going this fall really depends on having sort of a firm um, foundation or firm, firmly being grounded in some of the ideas that underlie uh, the, the Jesus Collective um, stuff that we talked about. And so we're going to be returning to that. And if you're new to this church community and, or you're just starting to visit, maybe you're a student, welcome, especially. I know we have a couple of students hanging out with us this morning. Um, and so it's actually a great time for you to become a part of this as we're sort of embarking on this on this new journey in this direction as a community. Uh, and I, like I said, again, next week we'll be going into the Jesus Collective stuff. And so you're, you're, you're coming here at this time is really uh, great because um, you're not really missing anything. Um, but I didn't want to dive into that this morning uh, because I thought, well, let's, let's keep it light for uh, kickoff Sunday. And then I if you've ever heard me speak, rarely does it ever just stay light. It gets like heavy and deep and emotional and ugh. And anyway, this happened that way as well as it prepared and it's just, that's the way she goes. Um, so <laughs> I'm calling this morning's message, uh, Borrowing Eyes. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into what we're talking about here in a second. Um, but it really, this is a time for all of us, whether you're part of this church community on a regular basis or not, September is a time of newness. Uh, there's new schools that we're going to, um, you know, new classrooms, new teachers, new friends. Uh, some of us are coming back from vacation and just a sense of newness coming back to the job. Um, there's all sorts of new experiences that the fall brings. And here with us as a church community is no exception to that. There is this new building, sort of. Um, this building now is owned by Lac de Malac First Nation. Many of you know this. And they have just been working crazy hard renovating and making it look like an actual uh, middle school. And I think they've done a really good job. And so we're trying to figure out what does that look like as we inhabit this new space. Um, we've got uh, a new pastor right now. That's new. Uh, there is, you know, we've, we've been sort of working on a little bit of a new logo for our community, which is actually sort of still in process. Um, we have a new website, so that's new. Has anyone seen the new website? No. Okay, five or six. Cool. There's a new website up as well. That's great. Uh, so there's all this new stuff happening, and as I was thinking about that, um, I realized that newness can often lead... Uh-oh. This isn't working now. Newness can lead to darkness, and you're like, what? Hear me out, and this isn't always the case, but hear me out. See if this pattern is something that you have noticed in your life. You come upon a new experience, 
um, a new relationship, uh, a new job, whatever it might be, and there's this sense of uncertainty with that. I don't know what I'm getting into here. I definitely have felt that in this role. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's going to happen. I can't anticipate the future on this. Uh, there's all this uncertainty, and uncertainty can lead to fear, right, and anxiety. Um, and that can lead to despair. And that fear and anxiety that leads to despair can leave us in doubt. And that doubt can lead us to having dark nights of the soul. How many people have had that sort of trajectory in their life upon experiencing something new, feeling like it actually uh, spirals down to like a really dark place? And I realize that that's a bit of a Debbie Downer approach to new experiences. And I'm not saying that that's always the case. Um, but there's certainly this potential for things like that to happen. Um, and, and, and so sometimes you get into these seasons of doubt in which we begin to doubt God's goodness. Uh, we doubt God's provision. We doubt his faithfulness. We doubt that, you know, Jesus is who he says he is. We doubt that the church is doing what it's supposed to do, it, it's supposed to be doing, or even it is what it is it's supposed to be doing. <laughs> There's doubts flying all over the place. And doubt has this tendency, or it can, lead us into all kinds of darkness. Feelings of isolation, um, anger, resentment, walking away from faith even, for some of us. That new experience returning to um, the comforts of what we know and, and just say, you know what, I, I am not willing to engage in this newness. I'm not willing to take this risk because there's too much uncertainty and I just don't think it's going to work out. And we just retreat back to our safety spots, our safe, safe spaces. And let me tell you, this has kind of been my experience the past few days here in this role as your pastor. And maybe you're a bit uncomfortable hearing that your pastor struggles uh, with doubt and despair. But, um, you know, particularly after having just given up my job and, and embarking on this new career with all this wonderful new opportunity and all this incredible potential, uh, shouldn't I be soaring right now? Shouldn't I be just filled with hope and, and, and perspective on all that can be in this community? And if you uh, listened or read our, the newsletter a few weeks ago, I wrote about, um, by the way, in our newsletter, and I don't know if I can promise this, but I'm hoping to, uh, I write little like pastoral thoughts, just sort of reflections, and um, I kind of open the newsletter like that. That's sort of like a bonus to the newsletter contents. So I'm hoping that we can carry that on. So if you like listening and reading that stuff, then sign up for a newsletter. But anyway, beside the point, a couple weeks ago, I wrote about this sort of intentional naivety that we're, that we're as Christians supposed to be having. Um, uh, that as Jesus followers, we're called to, you know, sort of concede the reality of injustice and despair and sort of the bleakness that life can bring. And sort of, you know, proclaim in the face of that, that even though... All that may be true of our existence, of this reality, I will naively believe in the goodness of God. Um, that this perspective, this, this approach, sets the core 
uh, impetus of our faith. It's sort of the, the counter narrative of all stories that we see in our day-to-day lives that fill our news, that fill our news feeds. Um, the news of like life is awful and terrible and everything. We're like, yeah, but God is good and he is faithful. And that's what the, the like, we're not right. We're not ignorant of how naive that sounds, right? We're intentionally naive. We are like intentionally seeking to be hope-filled followers of Jesus. And that's our calling. And that's really what faith looks like, I think, in a day-to-day life. Like, yeah, yeah, I get like that life sucks. Yeah, for sure. But I'm still going to hold fast to the goodness of God. And, and that's true. And I, and I absolutely stand by that. But I would be deeply inauthentic if that's how I live my life 24-7, 365. And I don't think any of us do in this room. Um, so let's be naive, but let's be also real about the doubts and, and the darkness that each of us carry day to day in our lives. Because for me, newness, new experiences, whatever they may be, can sometimes lead to darkness. There are days when faith is such that we feel like we're on top of, our mount, of the mountain. Life is going well. And it's just like, yeah, God's faithfulness is evident. It's everywhere. And then there are days where we, that's the mountain where everything is going great. I, need, I don't know if you need a visual for that. And then there's this, where it's like, oh, crap. Yeah, I can also be in dark spaces, in dark places, when I can't see the light, right? There are days when faith comes easy, and there are days when doubts creep in, and you can't see any of the goodness, so let's call that out for what it is, and let's be honest with each other and, and drop the act and just be like, yeah, this is what it's like to follow Jesus. Some days are easy, some days are hard. Remember John the Baptist? Of course you do. John, uh, while he was six months in his mother's womb, I was going to say he was six months pregnant, but that wasn't part of the story. John was, uh, of course, Jesus' cousin, and he was six months in the womb of his mother Elizabeth, and he actually leaps for joy in the presence of Jesus. Remember that, John? John, who uh, is standing there with his mouth open in awe as the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus, and he hears the words audibly from God saying, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. Remember that, John? John, who watches Jesus proclaim to uh, these individuals that their sins are forgiven, something that only God the Father can do, and yet he, in boldness, proclaims, behold, behold, um, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's John the Baptist. So for those who maybe weren't familiar, now you get the idea. This is a man who really saw Jesus for who he was, who lived his life in devotion to proclaiming the good news of Jesus in, as he comes into this world. And uh, if we fast forward a bit into that story of John the Baptist and sort of his life trajectory, um, if you're familiar at all with the story, you'll remember that he is um, imprisoned uh, by King Herod. And he's imprisoned because King Herod had married uh, Herodias, I always forget her name, Herodias, which was, I think, his brother's wife, and then his brother died or something, and so he remarried. But whatever it was, it was against Mosaic law to marry this woman. And so John calls him out on it. King Herod was a Jew, and 
John felt it is right to call him out on marrying someone who uh, was, you know, it was a transaction or, uh, um, yeah, a transgression against the Mosaic law. And so Herod responds by saying, you don't like that? Hmm. And he throws him in prison. And so now we have John the Baptist sitting in prison and, and he, uh, you know, it doesn't say how long he's been there, but it's presumably he's in there, he's been there for weeks or months or whatever. Um, and he gets kind of depressed. <laughs> There is bleakness and darkness kind of all around him. And, uh, and it's a rough sort of situation because there, first of all, is this grave injustice that was done to him, right? Like he didn't deserve to be in prison. He did what was right to call out the Jewish king for his disobedience to the Mosaic law. And now he's actually facing his demise. His, his, the, um, the prospects of him getting out of this alive, very slim. And so everything he sees and experiences in this situation as he's in this sort of dungeon would be pretty bleak, pretty dark. Um, and he begins to wonder, as he's in this context, if Jesus is who he really said he was, right? If Jesus is who he really said he is, then why is he suffering in prison right now? If Jesus is the one he says he is. Why is he allowing this evil and illegitimate king to get away with these injustices? Why is John about to get killed? Why is he facing his demise if Jesus is who he says he is? Which sounds very familiar to the questions we ask. If God is good, if Jesus is who he is, why did I lose my job? If God is good, then why... Are my parents splitting up? Why uh, don't I have any friends? Why can't I feel love if God is good? Where is that? And so John's situation, albeit a little bit more stark than most of ours as he's sitting there in prison about to die, um, can be related to us. And I want to read this morning Luke 7, 18 to 23, as we just briefly dive into this story about John. Verse 18 says, the disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So again, John's discouraged. He's feeling disheartened. He starts doubting. He's having this sort of dark night of the soul. And he tells his disciples what on earth? Maybe Jesus isn't who he says he is. And so they go out and they start following Jesus. And what did Jesus do right before this story? Well, if you follow, if you know uh, this section of the gospel, the story right before is the story of Jesus healing the Roman centurion's um, servant by simply saying the words. He just speaks healing. And then the next story is uh, he actually raises a widow's son from the dead right? And so John's disciples are excitedly telling John all about these miraculous events. And uh, this is what they say. So John called for two of his disciples. He sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else, right? He's, he's got these doubts. His two disciples find Jesus and said to him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? And at that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, evil spirits, and restored sight to the many who were blind. 
And so he tells John's disciples, go back to John, tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Like, here's what is happening. You've watched this with your own eyes, the things that I am doing. And I think Jesus' response to John's sincere doubts uh, bears paying just a little bit of attention to. Because he's not like, what are you talking about, John? Of course I am. You've heard me. You've seen all these things in the past. You've, you've heard me say this very thing. You've seen these miracles. So what are you, you know, wh- what's it going to take to convince you? He, he doesn't respond that way. Instead, he is filled with compassion and understands the very real struggle that John is in the midst of right now. That doubt that John is experiencing is very legit. It's valid. And so instead of condemning John's doubt, we see Jesus encouraging John's faith. He reminds him of this truth, of the evidence that points to Jesus, in fact, being the one. He doesn't spell it out, but he says, here, just go tell John all the things that you've watched. Go back to him and tell him that you've seen and heard. The blind are seen. The, the lame are walking. Um, the lepers are being cured. Death, death people are learning to hear. Dead people are being raised to life. There's good news being preached to the poor. Like, there is something happening here through this work of Jesus. And I want you to just go testify to that to John because right now he can't see that. Jesus understood that John's perspective was fairly limited in that moment, wasn't it? There was uh, darkness, there was evil, there was injustice in the thick of his circumstance. And so Jesus' response is not to condemn him for his lack of faith, for his doubts, but just to encourage his friends to go back and tell him everything that they see. Everything that they see. Help John to see what he can no longer see. To become, for John, his eyes. So put yourself in John's shoes for just a second. You've got all this recollection and proof in your mind of who Jesus is, of God's goodness. On an intellectual level, you have no problem uh, affirming that God is faithful, that Jesus is who he says he is. And yet, if you're human, you are confined to this darkness at times, and you also are the subject of injustices. You're full of fear. And now you're doubting everything you knew on an intellectual level to be true. And so then your buddies come back to tell you this report, and they give you this encouragement about just the incredible things that Jesus has done in their lives and doing in their midst. He's healing the blind. He's raising the dead. All these incredible things. And suddenly, if you're John, you are given this reminder, this glimpse of the beauty and of the goodness of, of Jesus. And you are like able to glean the light that they can see on that mountain, even though you're in the valley. John's friends become John's eyes. They become his hope for him in that moment of despair. He doesn't have the ability to see the sun rising over the mountains, but they happen to be just coming off the mountain after having visited and been in the presence of Jesus and watching him do all these amazing things. And so 
they get to share the cool things that Jesus is doing, this incredible work of healing and restoration that Jesus is doing that he, that John just isn't able to see. And they offer hope that John in that place isn't able to muster on his own. And you got to think that, man, that's got to be an encouragement to John. You would hope. And to me, this story communicates the role and the potential impact that healthy church community offers. This is what we can bring to the table as followers of Jesus. Our own circumstance here at Grassroots is a perfect example. We are all in this transition period together as a church family. Uh, None of us has the full picture of what's about to happen next week, uh, let alone six months from now. Some of us are feeling quite vulnerable in this moment. Like, I want certainty. I want to know what is our trajectory. What is the path? Where are we going to end up being in our physical space? And that sense of newness, this unexpected and unknown, all these unknowns is causing us to have doubts and have fears and, and to be anxious about our future, to be anxious about the things that are coming. This has been my story. <laughs> this is definitely true of myself. And yet, not all of us are feeling that. There are some in this community who are like, man, I am so excited to be in this chapter right now. There is incredible potential going on with grassroots that, you know, six months from now, it's just just going to tell this incredible story. And I, I just have this confidence that God is doing something cool here. And there's good work being done in the name of Jesus in this community for the sake of Thunder Bay, for the kingdom of God. It's amazing. And some of us feel that. And some of us are like, I hope you're right. Um, And I can tell you right now, there are people in this community who I go to in those moments of despair for me that I know they will be able to lift me up when I can't, when I'm in darkness, when I'm in uh, those moments of challenge where it's hard for faith to be mustered, they just are the kinds of people that I'm like, yeah, I need to go to that person because I need a boost of confidence and a boost of, of hope right now. And they, all have, they just happen to have the perspective that I need. Um, but there will also be those, so there, there are those on the mountain, there are those who have that perspective, but then there are also those who, like myself, are similar. And right now, we're just like, man, I don't have eyes of faith to see. I need to borrow yours. Um, the bleakness of whatever our situation is, is just, it's holding me down. And, and it's robbing me of being able to live a life of joy, being able to experience the joy of this moment. And so we're in the valley, and our world is sort of hidden in darkness and just challenge, and, you know, maybe we see injustices around us or whatever it might be, and, and God's goodness is difficult to accept for whatever reason. And that's when we need to borrow the eyes of those who are on the mountain. Um, and <clears throat> when I think about needing someone... Uh, needing to borrow someone's eyes, faith eyes, let's call them. That's weird, but let's call them faith eyes. When I need to borrow someone's faith eyes, there, there are countless examples in my life, um, but there's one story, and actually Rhonda kind of helped remind me of this, and I thought, man, that was good. And it's crazy because it, you know, it was from Bible college, it's from my first year of Bible college, so we're talking 24 years ago which is sad in and of itself, but 24 years ago, um, I was in Bible college, and there was this 
so my, my life was a bit of a, a gong show at that point. My brother had just passed away um, that summer. And so this fall, I am in this new experience going to a Bible college in Alberta. Didn't know anyone there. Didn't really have, Rhonda wasn't in the picture at all. Uh, she didn't come until a few years later. But um, so I was in this sort of like questioning God, a, a question about everything. Um, I, I, I was in a real sort of season of doubt, season of... Um, yeah, darkness, for maybe lack of a better word. And my faith had taken a real kind of kicking. Um, and I met this guy, I think the first week of, of, of college and freshman week. His name was Dan Donnelly. And Dan was in his mid-40s, and he was balding fairly severely. Um, he had just come out of a divorce, a really messy, ugly divorce. He had two teenage boys that were living with him. Uh, the divorce kind of drained him of all of his finances. He was just in a real rough patch in life. And yet, he held this perspective, uh, this, this incredible, just naivety. Like, again, an intentional naivety. Like, yeah, my situation's pretty crappy, but I'm able to see the goodness and the faithfulness of God and everything. And he felt called to ministry, and this is why he's at Bible college. And, um, and so him and I just kind of hit it off right away. I was 18, he's in his mid-40s, and we formed a, a really good friendship those first couple of days, couple of weeks of school. And Dan would, and, you know, we'd get together and he would listen to me vent about my challenges with my faith and, and you know, having lost a brother and all this stuff and all sort of like the challenges of life that I was going through in that moment. And whether... Dan realized it or not, he was being eyes for me at a time when I really needed um, eyes because I didn't have them for myself. All I could see was darkness. And so he would listen to me vent, and sometimes he would say nothing, and, and other times he would gently and, and just sort of using sort of wisdom and, and discernment in terms of how to respond to me, he would offer encouragement and be like, yeah, this is how God's been faithful in my life. And he would testify about the goodness of God in his life. And it was in a way that wasn't like off-putting, you know, how people can be kind of annoying that way. It was, in a, it was a sincere way. And it was in a way that uh, resonated with where I was at and what I needed. Now, um, one could have argued at that time that God hadn't been faithful to Dan. Like, look at the circumstance he's in. He's struggling, he has no money, he's got a divorce, all this stuff, and yet he, for whatever reason, was on a mountaintop. And I was in this valley. And so I needed Dan's eyes in that moment. And because sometimes you're in the prison, or you're in the dungeon, and you need to borrow someone else's eyes. And then sometimes you become the eyes for others. Um, now, Exactly how we become the eyes for those who can't see. Just like Dan, it required discernment. It requires uh, wisdom and humility because we can often put our foot in our mouth and see the wrong thing and cause a lot of hurt. Um, and that's why I would say empathy needs to lead the way to becoming the eyes for others. It needs to start there. Uh, so if we're gifted with the perspective of being on the mountain, we need to have enough self-awareness to realize just a few things. One, being the eyes for others will look different depending on the person and the circumstances. So, this is years ago, and I lost a brother. Dan could have said, listen, God has a plan for you in this. Or, everything will work out good in the end. Or, you know what, Steve, what doesn't break you, 
will make you stronger. He could have offered any number of sort of empty platitudes, none of which would have helped. John's friends offered encouragement to John, to his faith, by reminding him of the good work that Jesus was doing in their midst when he didn't have the ability to see. And Dan did the same thing. He gently reminded me of how does how God was at work in his life. Despite his own circumstances, this is how I've seen God's faithfulness to me. This is how Jesus has shown himself to me in real, powerful, tangible ways. He held a perspective that I needed in that moment. But then there are times when the words weren't even needed. It's just being present with him, right? Being present with someone who is able to have eyes of faith. Whatever it is, it will take humility, and it will take wisdom, and it will take discernment. And I encourage all of us to move toward that, toward being that for one another. And then also, we need to recognize that we're all prone to borrowing eyes. We all need to borrow someone's eyes one, one, one way or another. And this is the thing about being a person of faith, being a person of sincere faith, I would say. There are ebbs and flows of faith for all of us. And there's no telling what's going to strengthen one person's faith or what's going to cause another's to crumble. Our job within the church, within Christian community, is to have ears to hear and eyes to see where the need is to offer encouragement when we're able to, to be willing to step up in that moment, to offer our faith on behalf of others, and to be humble enough to acknowledge when we are in need of someone else's eyes. Amen? Sometimes we are John's friends. We are able to see the goodness and the faithfulness and the beauty of all that God is up to in our midst. Sometimes we have that privilege. We can see his faithfulness at work in our lives, in the world around us, in this church. We can see the potential of a situation, of what's to come. And then sometimes we're full of despair and misery and doubt. And on any given Sunday, when we walk into this building or whatever building we eventually find ourselves in, we, as a church family, will be one of two of those things. We'll be either full of despair, <laughs> we'll be somewhere on that spectrum. Either we'll need the encouragement or we'll be an encouragement to others. And it's just up to us to be open to the Spirit's guidance and direction as we seek to meet each other's needs in that way. And if you're currently struggling in darkness and, and these things are like, man, this is hitting home, it's easy to say, and I don't mean it to be a platitude, but be open to sharing because that will be your, your, your way out. Maybe it's not about our current situation. Chances are it probably isn't. Maybe it's the overwhelming newness of a school year a semester with all sorts of challenges in it that you can't really anticipate and you're just scared. And you're like, I'm feeling that I can't do this. I'm, it's, I'm struggling to see God in this. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's an addiction you're deeply enmeshed in. Maybe it's a situation with your family. There are countless reasons for us to be in the valley. And what might cause someone to be in the valley might actually help someone else to be in a mountain, which is weird, but that's the way faith works, friends. And so I know there are people in this community who have been in those valleys, who have found their way to the mountaintops, and they have been an encouragement to me, and I know they would be an encouragement to you, but you have to be willing to reach out.
Now, before we close, and on this note, I wanted to um, mention there's this opportunity through Northwind Counseling. It just came across my desk this week, and I thought, man, this would be something that's tied directly to what we're talking about this morning. Um, September 23rd, so that's two, Sunday, two Saturdays from now, there is a day-long course for lay people, such as all of us here, who uh, is called Competent Caring, and there's actually three sessions to it. The first one is being offered in September. I think they're talking about a second one in late October. But the, uh, the idea is to equip lay people to provide counseling, to provide um, some basic skills for how to actually meet each other's needs in sort of a you know, counseling context. Um, and so this is, you know, it, it's um, Northwind, is anyone familiar with Northwind Ministries? It's a Christian sort of counseling service. It provides a biblical model for healing and restoration, becoming an agent of change and fundamental components of caring. I've taken this um, course. I'm actually hoping to take it again this on the 23rd because it's been like 10 years. Um, but I recall it just being absolutely fantastic and if you have the time in your life to spare i know it's a big ask to dedicate a saturday to this but if you have the time um i really encourage you to well first of all connect with me after the service and we can talk further about how we can get you involved with that um but uh consider doing it because that's that's exactly what we're talking about here like yeah i would love to be uh, the eyes for other people. I would love to be able to offer encouragement, but I don't even know where to start with that. And this counseling can actually help provide a bit of a framework for how we can go about doing that. So I encourage that. Um, just make a note of that if that's something you're able to do. Um, but I'm going to close, and I thought together we would read some scripture together as uh, we close. So I'm going to invite everyone to stand. I'll invite Rhonda to come up, and the band, Rhonda and Marsha, or just Rhonda. Um, and I would like to read together a passage from Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. And uh, so let's all read this together because I think it's a good, um, a good prayer, but also a reminder of God's goodness and um, good sort of call to action for us as the followers of Jesus. Let us hold fast the unwavering confession of hope for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. And do not neglect our own meetings, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so um, I'll let you continue to stand as we turn our attention to the communion cup. Uh, and this is sort of the first time we've done communion in maybe two months. Uh, for those of you who are... Um, who have been part of our uh, backyard services over the last couple of uh, weeks. You probably saw a bunch of grapes growing in our vineyard in the back there, which was awesome, and now they are ripe. And guess what? This morning's juice is made straight from those grapes. So, I mean, that's, that's as cool as it gets. Um, I want to gather around the communion table this morning to remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus as we understand this person... Jesus as the cornerstone of our faith and understanding this moment, his death and his resurrection, as the moment in world history in which God begins a new thing, a new creation. A new creation that 2,000 years later continues to be unveiled through each of us in our expressions of love 
in our expressions of creativity, in our pursuits of justice, in grace and compassion and service that we display to each other and to the world. And so may this bread and this cup remind us of our invitation and our participation in this new creation.